wacky idea, I know. But the idea is for you to select your questions from a list of questions by text messaging your preference. So have your phones ready. And in just a moment, you can text the questions that you select. We'll post four of them. You select two, and the top two are going to be discussed this morning. This weekend's topic has to do with finances and career. And so you'll see some questions under that topic. We also have a Facebook question that we have selected. We'll be discussing in just a moment. But I know what you're really waiting on. You're waiting on this week's joke. All week long, you've been sitting on the edge of your chair. Some of you have been unable to sleep, just wondering, what is the joke Locato's going to tell this weekend? Well, wait no longer. Young minister received his first assignment at the first church. He was so excited. He was sent to serve a small congregation in a small town. He wanted to meet everybody in that congregation. And so he announced to the church, I'm going to be coming to your house this week. Sure enough, the first day he went to the house of a, an elderly lady, a widow. He didn't call in advance. It's just a small town. Didn't have to do that. He just went and knocked on the door. Nobody answered. But around from the side of the house, here comes an elderly lady who obviously has been working out in her garden. She says, oh, I'm so glad you came to see me. Uh, please come in. Take a seat. I'm going to go clean up and we'll visit. So she walked him in. He sits down at the couch. She goes to clean up, leaving him in the living room by himself. And he looks on the coffee table, and there is a tray of peanuts. He loves peanuts. So he reaches down, and he eats a peanut. Then another. And then two or three. Well, lo and behold, he doesn't realize it. He eats the whole tray of peanuts before she comes back. He's a little embarrassed. So when she comes in, one of the first things he says is, I'm sorry, it's terribly rude of me. <laughs> I started eating those peanuts, and I ate every single peanut. She looked in the tray, and she said, well, you sure did. You ate all of those peanuts. But that's okay, I'd already sucked the chocolate off. That's terrible, isn't it? That is terrible. Who tells those kind of jokes? Don't have any doesn't have anything to do with your spiritual well being? No, it doesn't. Okay, here here are the topics. How can I get my debt under control? Should I be saving more or giving more? How can I discern my calling? I worry a lot about workplace changes. What can I do? Text 22333. Select two answers. Uh, enter max 1, max 2, max 3, max 4 to correspond with the question you want answered. And uh, it would take about a minute or two to do this. Some of you children may have to help.
of the ideas that if you and I were sitting down at uh, a restaurant or, or at a coffee shop having a conversation, and these questions came up, where would where would they take us? So these these are two really good questions. How do I discern my calling? And the other question is about giving and saving, and really kind of the whole idea of how. Managing finance. By the way, the Facebook question has to do with that second question. It was a question about uh, how can I avoid materialism. And so what, what I might do is just couple those second two questions and discuss them all in one big package, if that's okay. I'd like to ask you to pray with me now, and then we're going to open our Bibles to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Bless you, dear King, giver of all. Ever generous, ever present, ever faithful. We look back over our week and we see how we disappointed ourselves and wonder how much more we might have disappointed you. But Lord, you held on to us. You never let go. For that we give you unending gratitude. We cannot believe that someday we're going to get to see you, walk with you, know you in your new kingdom. We're banking everything on that. We've anchored our hearts, anchored our hopes to that. We ask that you do whatever it takes today to, to make that even increasing us increasingly aware of what you're doing. Thank you, Lord. And we offer this prayer in the name of Christ, asking that you forgive the sins of the one who speaks today. And then help us to see Christ in just Christ. Amen. Psalm 139. So a few weeks ago, I told you about a new dog that uh, Deanland decided that we needed to replace our Molly, who went to doggy heaven last uh, January. So Deanland, uh, my, my daughter, who lives in Waco, Sarah, found a dog at a shelter called Deanland. And next thing I knew, we were driving to Waco to get the dog. Some of you may have been here the weekend I showed you the picture of the dog. Well, we didn't know what kind of dog it was. The people at the shelter said, it looks like it's got a lot of golden retriever in it and two or three other things. Well, Deanland found a place here in San Antonio that will tell you what kind of dog you have. Did you know they can do this? They test the DNA of a dog. Doggy DNA, I guess. I don't know. They, you take the dog in and, and you find out. So she wanted to know. Well, just yesterday we found out what kind of dog it was. Now, I don't want, I'm never the kind of person who says, I told you so. But I really suspected that there was something about this dog because this dog has springs for legs. This dog does, it's just a little four-month-old puppy. This dog does not jump up on the couch. It's boing up on the couch. Just boing, boing, boing all the way around. You know what kind of dog this is? This dog principally, it's a, several things, but primarily is a Springer Spaniel. Springer Spaniel. I get that. There's something within that dog that causes it to spring. Did you know that there's a biblical principle that you enter this world, enter this world, with certain skills and abilities that are going to come out in your life that are God-given, kind of a blending of, of personality traits, tendencies, interests, and skills, all woven together to create who you are. You don't have to create you. Really, all you do is unveil you, discover you, discover how God created you. Many passages teach us this in the Bible. One of my favorites is Psalm 139. The psalmist said, David wrote, verse 13, For you formed me in my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. 
I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. In your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Secularism, the teaching that uh, is a godless teaching that removes God from the equation, says we just happened, that we evolved, that we uh, came out of nothing, that we are a coincidence of, of molecules that have collided, that somewhere along the line our great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpappy was a microbe in the water and worked his way gradually up, stepped out and walked on the land, and here we are, and we're headed off a cliff somewhere. And I'm not trying to, you know, make light of it, but, but it's an idea that we came out of nothing and we're headed into nothing. That is a philosophy that is embraced by many people who are influencing you right now, who are trying to influence you. Contrast that with what you just read. Contrast that with what you just read that says that the Almighty God who formed the universe, who knows how many stars are in the great galaxies, that same God engaged that wisdom, compassion, and kindness and formed you in your mother's womb. Accident, by no means. Predetermined. You emerged from the kindest and wisest heart in the history of humanity, a heart that has never not been. The eternal heart looked into this time and said, I need this person, and went to work forming you together in your mother's womb, knitting you together. I was wrought together, brought together. Look at that phrase, skillfully wrought. This is a neat verb in Hebrew. It's the same verb that's used to describe the work of the craftsman who, who created the curtain that hung in the Holy of Holies, the great tapestry. This is a word that was reserved for the most skilled artisans. So when you look in the mirror, what you see is a work of God. A work of God. Absolutely unique. Unlike any in the history of mankind, there is no... There, there is not another you anywhere in the universe. Nowhere. You will never bump into you on the sidewalk. You'll never be walking along and say, oh, there I go. Because here you are, right here. You are absolutely unique. Now, you inherited some tendencies and some priorities and some values from your family. But you are not your family. You appreciate your family. You learn much and rely upon your family. I hope you're grateful for your family. But you are not your family. You are you. You are a new idea. You have never been thought of before. There you are. So when God made you, He made you unlike anyone else. Now why is that important? That is important because that then releases you to discover your unique abilities and place those unique abilities into your future, into your life. This is what is called your calling. The word that we use is your vocation. 
You've noticed that vocation sounds a lot like the word vocal, vocal, because it's a call, a voice. It's a call from God. So how do you know when God calls you what he's saying? Come and be, come and do, come in this area. What is his call on you? How in the world do you hear it? Well, you listen to your heart. You look inside and see if you have Springer Spaniel legs. What can you do? What can you do that many people cannot do? What are your strengths? What things do you like to work with? In what condition do you best work? In what way do you best relate to people? And what gets you most excited? These are the five questions that you ask. The five questions. Your S, your T, your O, your R, your Y. What word is that? It's your story. It's your story. Your strength, your topic, your optimal setting, your relationships, and your yes. Your strength. Your strength. What can you do that most people look at and they say, now how does he do that so easy? You've got something like that. Or that other people say, now how does she figure that out so quickly? And your response is, well, it's it's not that hard. It's your strength. What about your topic? What things do you like to work with? Some of you, it's numbers. Some of you, it's language. Uh, Some of you, it's really people, organizing people, networking people. What's your topic? It might be uh, chemistry. It it might be uh, art. Numbers, I already said numbers, didn't I? Uh, It could be any number of things. But there's a noun in your life. There's a thing in your life that you can take your strength to. And then you can use that strength and that topic in an optimal setting. Uh, When you look back over your life, you'll see that you have performed best in certain circumstances, certain situations. Does that make sense? Read your life backwards. Look back and say, you know, I I really succeeded at that particular project. Why? Well, because they gave me all the time in the world to do it. Maybe you're the kind of person that needs an optimal setting in which there's a lot of room for you to operate. Others, you and I both know people, who really do their best under a deadline. I call them 911 people. I mean, it's kind of like they're in comatose until something is about due. But boy, they kick in in the 11th hour, and they do as well as others. They really seem to perform best under the gun. These are people that you find driving, working in the ER or find people in crisis situations. They just seem to, everything comes together at the right time. And relationships. How do you work best with people? You and I, again, know people who are the, they, they really seem to be their best when they're in charge. Sometimes they actually come across bossy. Because when they go into a room, they just take over. Well, some of that, could be arrogance, but it could be that's just the way they're made. If they're on a football team, they're going to be the quarterback just because they just seem to know how to do that. Others want to be the left guard or the center because they want to be on the team, but they don't want to run the team. Does that make sense? They, they don't. That could be you. So you look back over your life and say, in what way do you relate to people the best? And then lastly, you look at your yes, your passion. 
What is it that causes you to get angry or to get emotional or to get passionate? It might be poverty. It might be disorganization. It might be orphans. It could be any number of things. But something causes you to get passionate. Now, if you can line up your S, your T, your O, your R, your Y, then you're finding out your vocation. And you truly bring God glory when you operate in the arena of your vocation. Does that make sense? Seventy percent of the people in the United States responded, I hate my job, to a recent survey. Seventy percent. Does that surprise you? When you think about the people with whom you work, their joy level, a lot of people just, they just don't, they just don't like their jobs. And, and I realize that we need to be grateful we have a job. Please do not go home and tell your wife you're quitting your job because Max told you to. To go find something you like better. But you might consider praying and working toward a career that lines up with your strengths and your abilities. Not, again, not drastic changes here. You gotta, you know, sometimes we just endure a tough job because we gotta pay the bills and feed the kids. But make it your aim and begin praying and, and, and articulating and describing the kind of job you want. What I have found in working in this type of topic with folks over the last four or five years is that most employers like to hear their employees say, I like my job. Here's something else I could do here in the company if you ever need me to. I have a real strength in writing or graphic design. And if, I'll try it if you like. You know, a good boss is sensitive to that, right? So that might be, don't abandon your job, but look for an opportunity to move in an area of your job that uses your strengths more because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Question number two has to do with money. Can we pop it up one more time? Should I be saving more or giving more? And then the Facebook question, if we can put it up, the Facebook, the questions that people voted on online is, how can I avoid the trap of materialism and greed? For the sake of time, I'm going to merge these two questions, and I'm going to go back up and come upriver into the question of materialism, greed, saving, and giving, and talk about what is even a more primal issue and that is the issue of contentment. Of contentment. I bet you can finish this verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not... Have you ever thought about that? Do you think you can get to the place where you can say, well, since God is my shepherd, I don't want anything. I don't want anything. I am content. I am content. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, I have learned to be content. I have learned the secret of contentment. Did you know that you indwell the most marketed to generation in the history of the world? How many times on a given day is somebody sending you this message? By me. By me. How many times already today how long do you have to have a television on before somebody comes on and says, buy me, I'm a car, buy me, 
I'm an iPad. Buy me. I'm a new shirt. Buy me. How many times do you think on a given day, hundreds of times, billboards, radio, walk to a shopping mall. I mean, it's just a deluge. Buy me, buy me, buy me. If you are not alert, my friend, you are going to respond with, okay, I'll buy you, I'll buy you, I'll buy you, I'll buy you. And the result is you begin spending tomorrow's money today and find yourself without money for tomorrow because you spent it all today because they were saying, buy me, buy me, and you didn't know how to say no. And you ended up in a buy you. You ended up in a debt. That's clever. You ended up trying to climb your way out of debt. And you and I both know, I hope you haven't known know by personal experience, but maybe you do, nothing sucks the soul out of a person more than debt. The Bible teaches us that the man who borrows the money is a slave to the man who loans the money. The man who borrows the money becomes a servant of the man who loans the money. So what do you do if you find yourself in debt, if you find yourself asking questions like, can I save more? How can I give more? If you want to avoid materialism. Well, if you find yourself in a debt trap, the first response is to get help to get good financial counsel, to get somebody who has managed to stay out of debt to help you work out what's called a budget, to plan your money accordingly. And if you don't want to sit down and talk to somebody about it, then my recommendation to you is to read everything that Dave Ramsey has ever written. Because he has helped people in our church and help people all over the world get out of debt. This is a serious, serious issue. And it, it, urge, it, it will take every drop of energy and creativity that you have. But you've got to do it. You've got to do it. Avoid debt like the plague. Discover what the phrase manageable debt is. That's debt that fits within your budget. And learn to live within that. Do, you, do any of you remember, uh, it's, it's been about 15 years ago, but some of you remember when car advertisements made a subtle shift and they ceased telling us what the car cost in the car commercial and began telling us what the payments would be. Did you notice that? Now, that's significant. They used to say, okay, this car costs $20,000. Now the commercial says this car costs $299 a month. What happened? They sucked us into the debt loan dependency scheme. Folks, we're not going to get into that, right? Why? Because, number one, we have learned to be content. We have learned to be content. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't have to have anything else. I don't have to have anything else that would cause me to feel better about myself other than what God has already given to me. You see, that's when debt kicks in, when we think that we have to own something to be better, that we're measured by what we own. But the way you counter that, in addition to the practical counsel you get from somebody like Dave Ramsey or a good financial counselor, the way you counter that is going upriver and understanding how to be content. You know how you are content? You say, I've been accepted by God. I've been adopted by God. I've been acquitted by God. I am complete in Him. 
He has done everything necessary to save my soul. And He is now equipping me to live with Him and serve with Him for eternity. I am not what I drive. I am not where I live. I am not what I wear. I am not how I smell. I am not the boat I own. Now, the Bible is not against you smelling good or driving a boat. I'm all in favor of you smelling good, by the way. What we are trying to avoid is identifying ourselves with stuff. Okay? That's where you got to put the foot down and say, okay, no, my contentment, my identity comes in what God has given me, not what I own or drive. That, that's the departure here. And if you can establish that, and that's called maturity, as you grow and mature in that, then you won't be sucked into the by-me world. You'll have weapons with which you can say, you know what, I don't have to have that. I'm fine with what I have. And that then keeps you from going into debt. And that then enables you to save more if you need to, to give more if you'd like to. And most of all, it just frees you up just to enjoy life in the way God intended for you. This is Independence Day weekend. And uh, very much aware we are that we would not be able to have conversations like this were it not for the sacrifice of men and women. Men and women, many of whom are sitting in, in this church auditorium who served in the military. Some of you active and some of you retired. I'd like to introduce you to a remarkable couple, Sam and Amy Brown. I sat down with them just a few days ago, and I thought it would be very appropriate for you to hear their story. They attend our North Central campus for a time. They attended at Journey Fellowship, and they agreed to sit with me on a video set for just a few moments. Turn your attention to the screen. Hi, everybody. I have a great privilege today to introduce you to a very, very special couple. Those of you at the Journey Fellowship campus and those of you at the North Central campus already know them, but the rest of you may not have had the opportunity to meet them, so I'd like to introduce you to Sam and Amy Brown. I know your world uh, was really changed in September of 08. And I was wondering if you'd mind just sharing some of your story. Sure. I, um, I was a, just a young lieutenant a couple of years out of West Point and uh, an infantry platoon leader. And I'd only been in Afghanistan a couple of months when our mission was to uh, protect a route that Canadians and British were going to be coming through. And uh, unfortunately on that day, uh, my vehicle hit an IED and I was... Instantly found myself engulfed in flames. And, uh, it was uh, as soon as I realized the trouble I was in, my only reaction was to throw my arms in the air and ask for Jesus to save me. Mm. And um, I, I really didn't even know if I was going to survive at that time. Mm -hmm. But uh, Was there a time you didn't think you would? There was. As I, as I was um, laying on the ground, face down, continuing to burn. I had no idea if there was help nearby. Yeah. Um, and, and all I could hear was myself screaming out to God. And, and, uh, and I really did think there for you know, a few moments until I heard help that uh, that, that was going to be it for me. I just didn't know how long it was going to take. So I arrived in San Antonio five days later on uh, the 9th of September, 2008. 9th of September, 2008. And that was the beginning of several, um, well, a long period of recovery. 
Absolutely. Several surgeries? How many surgeries? It's It's been over two dozen. I, I, I don't know the exact number, but uh, no, and absolutely ongoing. It's, you know, nearly coming up on three years, and I've still got another surgery scheduled in July. Yeah. So it's uh, it's been a long road. Well, Sam, I know that you have a, a special interest as a result of your own experiences in, uh, in helping veterans. And uh, our church has a special interest in that as well. Uh, I know that uh, as soon as this tape is over and every campus is played, there's going to be thunderous applause, not just for you and for you, Amy, but also for all our veterans. But we'd like to take it a step further instead of just applauding publicly. I wonder what we could do more personally. Can you give us some counsel on that? Sure. You know, just uh, in, in being a vet, not only just a, a veteran, but also a wounded warrior, it's, uh, it's important for people to understand that um, veterans are, are used to being on the move a lot. And, and so the family unit is a lot of times the only st stable thing that we have. And uh, the best way to really minister to a veteran, in, in our opinion, is to really work at trying to establish a personal relationship. And when a veteran and his family feel like you're not just there for a golf outing every Saturday or uh, lunch after church, but truly interested in, in their well-being and their life, um, even after they move to Germany maybe the next year or whatever their path may be, that you'll find that they'll open up and they'll really share their lives with you and their needs and their struggles and the strengths and, and their love that comes with that family as well. And, and it has to really be a concerted effort to get to know that family personally. And in doing so, though, you'll probably find the biggest blessings and the best friends for life. Well, listen, you symbolize, and Amy, you symbolize for us uh, people that inspire us, encourage us, and we just don't have the words to thank you. And I, and I think the way that, that I'd like to be more thankful is to look for ways in my own life that I can be an encouragement to our veterans and express our appreciation. And you've helped us have insights into how to do just that. We thank God for you. We pray for your marriage. And we're excited about the new baby that's on the way. Thank you. That's big news. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Amy. Some of the videos so it wouldn't be so long, but uh, what you missed, and I want to make sure you know, is that uh, Sam met Amy in the hospital after the explosion, after he's brought to San Antonio. He met Amy. She was his dietician uh, assigned to him in the burn unit, and uh, after a few months, he met her, and he found the love of his life in the hospital, and then she uh, was led to Christ by him before they married. And so what appears to be so tragic uh, becomes a beautiful story. And now they are married and expecting their first child. Wonderful story. But we want to just use them as a, as a symbol, a picture of the kind of people who have given up so much so that we can have the freedom we enjoy and recognize that on Independence Day weekend. I'd like to invite all of our military 
uh, both active and retired, to stand and let us express our appreciation to you.